Hi there, and welcome back to the Community Strategy Podcast. My name is Deb Shell. I'm a creator turned community builder. After launching my online community in 2020, I have a passion for online events and bringing people together. I now consult business owners and leaders just like yourself who have a message, their life's work, or a vision for helping others transform through their online courses, cohorts, or memberships. On this interview style podcast, you'll hear conversations with community leaders, passion for bringing people together online. Our goal is to provide you with interesting conversations to inspire you to build, launch, and grow an online community with energy, confidence, and purpose. Let's get started. I am popping in right before this episode to let you know that I things happen, life changes. And so my intention for this episode was that it was going to be the final episode of the Community Strategy Podcast. Um, what occurred was that I had some changes in schedules with uh, the recording schedule. And so um, I wanted to keep on schedule. So instead of being episode 100, this is episode 98. So when you hear in the intro, Dave is going to celebrate about 100 episodes. And at the end of this episode, I talk about uh, this being the last episode. It's not the last episode, but it's like the third to the last episode. So I'm going to just give you a brief uh, update. So the Community Strategy Podcast has been going on for um, since October of 2020. Initially, it was to help build awareness around the Find Calm Here community. It later changed to learning about entrepreneurs And then I pivoted again and uh, really focused on telling the story of community builders. So over the last about, I would say, last 50 episodes have been really focused on entrepreneurs and building a business. And um, specifically, there has been about 20 episodes that are interviews with Muddy Network hosts, because that was a platform that I was building on when I launched my community in 2020. And... And there's other, there's also other episodes from other leaders from other platforms. So I wanted to just uh, let you know that I am ending the community strategy podcast at the end of the year and two more guests will be on the podcast yet. Um, And so I'm recording those episodes next week. So I won't announce them yet, but stay tuned for the two more episodes. Please feel free to go back and listen to past episodes. As I mentioned in this episode with David, he um, he shared a lot of different tactics around benefits for community builders and how to make decisions with his new book, Deciding Conquer. But, but what I wanted to just share was at the end of that episode, I shared that this new strategy is going to be part of the book. So um, the community strategy podcast will be referenced throughout the creator to community builder book. Um, at, At this point, I'm halfway through the manuscript working on getting the final touches to that uh, and into an editor's hands in the next few weeks. As of today, I'm recording. This is December 9th, and this episode is going to be on, coming out um, on S- Sunday, December um, 11th. So enjoy the episode, and um, thank you for listening. Yeah. Hi, all. Thank you for joining me. This is Deb. I am the host of the Community Strategy Podcast, and I'm here to celebrate our 100th episode today with David Siegel, who is the CEO of Meetup. 
David, welcome to the Community Strategy Podcast. 100 episode. This is so like exciting to be on. I, I love community. I love everything that you represent. And I, I couldn't be more honored to be able to uh, have this conversation with you. Me too. And I know that pretty much anybody who's listening has probably heard of Meetup. It's it's pretty much a household name, been in been in, in the uh in the world as a name for quite a while. But tell years. us a little bit. I was gonna say it's about 20 years, I was guessing, right? But I know you also wrote a book, and we'll talk a little bit about that today, and we'll talk about Meetup um and how it started. But what I wanted to ask to to start us off to kick off this conversation of why connection for you? Why was sure. Meetup and working um and bringing people together and doing a podcast and writing a book about connection and, and, and challenges. What, what's connection and why is it important to you? Okay, sure. Meetup has one mission and it just resonates with me so deeply. The mission is to cure the loneliness epidemic that exists in this world. 46% of people, not sometimes, not occasionally, but regularly feel lonely. And among people who are Gen Zers, people the most vulnerable, people in their in their early 20s, late teens, it's actually as high as 62% regularly feel lonely. And when you have loneliness, it can result in anxiety, it can result in depression, it, God forbid, can result in self-harm or anything else. Our dream is we have 60 million people who use our platform across 200 different countries and 260,000 different communities. And the goal is for people to be their authentic self, is for people not to have to act in a different way than who they are, and for people to be hopefully loved, respected, and build friends, and end loneliness as we know it. The number of stories that I hear from people who are new to a city, I just moved to Hong Kong, I just moved to Philadelphia, whatever the city is, and they said they didn't want to go to bars to meet with pe meet people, but they found meetups. And they found a kickball group or a hiking group or a tech group or whatever the community happens to be or, or playing basketball for people under five, six group, which we actually even have. Those, those are, it's not just about the community, it's about connections for people. So for me, I grew up in a, in a, a strong community, actually as an, uh, as an Orthodox Jew in, in our synagogue community. And during times of, of joy, when people had kids, people would bring food to their homes and the community would support them during those amazing times of joy. And in times of sorrow, when God forbid someone might have passed away, again, the community would support them. But I know so many people in college and after college that didn't have strong communities that they grew in, grew up in. And, you know, Lots of challenges ensue when you don't have that. So I've been passionate and obsessed with the power of community. And I've also have faced loneliness at times in my life as well, especially after I graduated college. So it became even more important to me to find ways in which we could end the loneliness as we know it. Mm, this original, I, you know, the experience of how we first discover community in our life is typically through your local in-person um, church meeting or gathering or, you know, religious practice, or um, if, if you have those things, or if you're participating in those things and those bonds that you create with those people in your formative, formative years are the most impactful 
as to the really and end of design how you'll develop relationships in the rest of your life. So sounds like you had a really amazing community from early life that you were able to tap into in some way or another. And that experience has given you the ability to say, this is a priority for me of connecting um, with others and um, building connection. Well said, you know, I'll share how Meetup was founded and it kind of adds even more to the community kind of ethos for Meetup, which is um, right after 9-11, the day of 9-11, our founder, Scott Heiferman, was in shock, just like I was in shock and you were in shock and everyone else was in shock at that time. And no one wanted to be by themselves. We all needed a shoulder to cry on and some community to be with. And he was hanging around the lobby of his building that he lived in, his residential building. And no one was in their rooms. Everyone was kind of lording around, hanging around. He walked over to someone and he said, hey, what um, floor do you live on? And he said, he lives on the fifth floor. You must have just moved in. No, he'd been living there for three years. And met another person also who had been living in the building for a long time, who he also didn't know. And he just looked you know, and talked to everyone. And he said to himself, it shouldn't take tragedy for us to build community. How do we build a platform where people can build community, meet other people, connect, and hopefully have their lives change because of those connections? And that's when he went back to his room and he actually started the concept around Meetup directly you know, from that. And the number of people who at times you know, don't necessarily feel like they're similar to others. So for example, people in the queer community, LGBTQ plus community, you know, unfortunately many of those individuals, thank God less, less so now than probably a couple of decades ago, felt different and marginalized. And, and just really, unfortunately, the number of people that have felt supported, the number of people that, that you know, if I'm a um, black photographer in Washington, DC, and I feel like I'm the only black photographer and everyone else is something different than me. How do I meet other people that are kind of have similar passions as I do? And we want to say to people, you're not as different as you think you are. You're special. Every single person is special, but there are people that share some of, major, some of the challenges that you may have in life and also share the joys and things that you love. And to be able to connect you to those people, ah. Oh, it's just the greatest thing in support. So it, it just really has spoken to me in my whole life. Yeah, sounds like it. Sounds amazing. Um, how did you get connected? I know you didn't found Meetup. Um, I know that you had, and I mentioned this before we started, but I did read your book, Decide and Conquer. Found it very amazing. In fact, everybody who's listening should jump out and go buy it at your local bookstore, supporting local stores, or and or if it's easier, go to Amazon and just click it and buy it and have it delivered to you which is what I did um, because uh, it's in every Barnes and Noble. I'm happy to say And Sometimes when I go to a local bookstore, I like check. I'm like, Oh, look, it's there. Sometimes not there, but, but uh, yes, great but, to support but you, local but you talk about this journey of, of you coming and working um, with meetup and, and then the, the challenges around meetup and, and when it got bought by WeWork and then sold by WeWork and all this, this whole up and down roller coaster that really leaves you kind of like as the reader, I was like cliffhanger every like two seconds. And I'm like, how can I put this book down? Because I'm like, but I really wouldn't know what's going to happen next. So it was a really good book for somebody. If you're a leader, like a CEO, it's it's really written for, for leaders um, that 
you know, as entrepreneurs and business owners will probably not want to admit there's a lot of decisions that they need to make and it's hard to make decisions. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to make decisions. So do what do you want me to hit on uh, decision making? So, so, so tap, tap into um, first, tell us about the book and why you wrote the book, and then we'll get into some of the strategies. Okay, great. Um, I've always been obsessed with decision making. And the reason for it is because I know so many people who have challenges with decision making. I, I feel like the majority of people say they have trouble making decisions or they take too long to make decisions, or they they're, they sometimes have too many different biases when they're making decisions. How do you get past them? So I've always been obsessed with the, the, the psychology around decision-making, but I didn't want to write like a boring business book with just, you know, and, and the great experience was that I got to be a part of WeWork and boring and WeWork do not go together. So there were so many insane experiences my interviews with Adam Newman, which I had 27 different interviews before I became the Meetup CEO, which is a lot, to taking over for a, a founder who had been running the company for 16 years, an incredible person, Scott Heiferman, um, who I referenced earlier, who had the original concept. And how do you kind of the change management involved in taking over for someone to entering a culture of a company that was kind of run like a nonprofit and kind of anti-revenue? Uh, and turning it into something more meaningful to ultimately selling Meetup after WeWork's valuation went from $47 billion down to $2 billion and almost fell apart to the pandemic hitting Meetup and how do you run a company? So there's so many crazy things that happened. I was like, it was basically therapy for me, to be honest with you, Deb. So when, when the pandemic hit and I had two to three extra hours and not having to commute anymore, and I we had just sold Meetup out of WeWork, there were so many um, challenges swimming around in my head and so many experiences related to decision-making. I just started waking up at four or five o'clock in the morning with a lot of um, energetic, even more energy than usual. And just wanting to just almost write like a diary almost of my experiences. And it ended up turning into a book actually because of community, I may add, because um, someone who I met or I've been close with for a while, a community that I'm in, introduced me to the um, to a publisher at HarperCollins, and I sent a manuscript in that had spelling mistakes and grammatical mistakes and just, just almost a diary of experiences related to personal decision-making. And they read it, and they loved the roller coaster element of it and the storytelling element. And, uh, you know, then we published the book you know, shortly after. But I actually only spent two to three months writing the whole book. Oh, I was just about to ask <laughs> it, you. Yeah, I birthed it. I literally birthed it out of me. I would be lying in bed, just writing. Going, right in in just a couple of months, I wrote the entire two hundred and whatever some odd pages of it. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Well, I was just about to ask you about the writing process because I'm writing a book, my first book, and oh, it's wait. Do you have a name yet? It's Creator to Community Builder. Is the, is the, like is the working is the working title nice. uh, based on the creator economy, which I identify a lot in in being in that space of creator economy and um, the challenges and complexities that come with being a creator. Talking about decision making, there's a yes. lot of decisions creators have to make and entrepreneurs have to make. And 
we're at a place right now, time-wise, we're recording this in November. So we're almost tapping into the holidays. It's going to be 2023, right? It's right around the corner. People are looking at setting up their plans or strategic plans for the next year. How are they spending their dollars? What are they investing in their time and their money in? And it's a good time to talk about, this is a good time to talk about making decisions. <laughs> and on the same aspect, we are seeing a massive shift in what is happening online right now, big time this week in the last week with Twitter and Facebook announcing layoffs, Twitter being bought over all of this shift of, of this, um, Matt, Matt Adore, whatever this new other place that I heard about recently. Um, so the online world of community building is kind of blowing up right now in a lot of ways. And community is like a, one of the most words I've heard this year is community. And whether they're talking about an in-person community or a hybrid or, a, you know, online or whatever of community building, people know that this is an important thing that they yes. want to do, yes. but they need to figure out as a business owner, how does this fit in my business? And so I know that there's some strategies that you talk about as in, in the book of relating to decision-making. And I was curious if there's a way that we could frame it through the lens of a community builder that's looking at 2023 20, right now, because the audience is going to be in that spot. I'm sitting in the space of, I'm a community builder. What am I going to be investing my time and energy? And how do I make decisions in 2023, 20, at the end of 2022, going into 2023? Good stuff. Okay. So here's a couple of thoughts. So number one is probably the biggest challenge that most people have, especially entrepreneurs have around, around decision-making, which relates to community building is the speed of decision-making. So Teddy Roosevelt once said a beautiful quote, which is the best decisions are great decisions. The next best decisions are bad decisions. And the worst decision is no decision. And I think many community leaders, and I'm sure you know this because we both know many community leaders, they have a little bit of a perfectionist type of mentality. And they're going for that A slash A plus because so many people are dependent on them. And they don't want to create that. If it was just for themselves, they'd be okay. But because the, most of the time, they're incredibly selfless people and philanthropic people who want to make the world a better place. That's why they're in communities. Not to make tremendous amounts of money. It's to make the world a better place and connect people. They, they know the stakes are quote unquote high and they want to do everything in kind of an AA plus. So the result of that is oftentimes paralysis in decision-making. And kind of a principle I talk about in the book and principle around decision-making in general, certainly very, very applicable to me leaders is speedy, be speedy when making decisions. That's the first one. And then learn from your first event. It's, 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 if it's a B minus, that's okay. The next event could be a B. The next event could be a B plus. And each time you're going to get better and better, but having the experience will make you much better. That's one. The second issue that a lot of community leaders have is they want to listen to all the members of their community, right? Each of whom has a completely different and opposite perspective than each other on many, many, many different topics, right? And it's very exhausting. And as a community leader, you don't want to upset your, the people in your team. And you end up sometimes making then a decision that is like this in-between decision. Um, you know, and what I like to say in decision-making is hear everyone out, hear, but don't necessarily listen to everyone. Be comfortable, quote unquote, being an island. It's okay to make what you think is the absolute best decision for a community. 
always get feedback, always hear what people say, always understand the why. And that talks to another principle in the book, which is to be kind. And being kind is different than being nice. If as a community leader, you're constantly being super nice, sure, I'll do whatever you want. Sure, what I'll do whatever you want. Sure, I'll do whatever you want. Well, that doesn't work as a leader or in general, and certainly as a community leader, because then you know you're 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 trying to satisfy and make everyone happy, and you're making yourself miserable. And there could be lots of inconsistencies. So another principle that we talk about in decision making is be a kind decision maker, but there's a difference between being kind and being nice. Firing someone, that's not so nice. It's painful, but it might be the kindest thing you could do for that person. It might be helpful for that person to move on to that next job. Telling someone that's in your community, um, hey, I'm not sure if this is the right community for you. That's uncomfortable. That's like tension filled. But you know what? That could be the thing that the community actually needs best in order to thrive. So principle number one, be speedy in decision-making. We're not community leading. Principle number two, be kind. Don't just be nice and, and have everyone all walk all over you in terms of decision-making. I'm happy to share a few more or I could t- breathe and take a pause or whatever you like. Breathe, take a pause. Um, I think I loved all of these amazing tips and such a great wisdom. So I, the way I work with clients and when I'm helping people build communities as a consultant, I've, I have been really, my business is called find calm here. And I've really wanted to take the example of as a solo entrepreneur, community building and gathering people together can certainly be time consuming, overwhelming, and stressful. It doesn't have to be, and you can choose differently to maybe let go of the perfectionism and just start going with something. You have a community concept. We get clarity on the community concept. We move to like, what's the strategy around the community? How are we going to launch this thing? What's it looking like? Have we talked to ideal members? We workshop all of those things. Then we like say, we put this thing out there and we say like, like let's see how it goes and then we see and then we'll iterate and then we'll iterate based on the learning we got to get it out there (laughs) and one of the things i mentioned to somebody was you can have this beautiful platform and you can build all of these beautiful workflows and have sequencing emails and have all the technology set up then humans come in to this amazing (laughs) space (laughs) and then that then that's when all of the things that are you implying that humans are not perfectly rational at all times Maybe, <laughs> maybe, um, and that's the complexity. Cause I think when you talk about this, you know, it takes a lot of courage to put something out in the world, to, to have an idea and put it out in the world is, is courageous in itself, period. Stop. Right. On tacking onto that is this amazing ability to have this idea, to be brave enough to put it out there. And then to be brave enough to not take it all personally when 17 people tell you what they don't like about it (laughs) and have the grace to say, that's all right. You can have your own opinion about it, but here's what I'm doing. And it's not perfect. And I'm okay with that. And community builders, that's, that's really important for community builders because we're talking about people and you can't, you know, you can create systems and processes to like automate certain things. But honestly, if you're talking about people, especially if you're the, a lot of the people I work with in the starter bucket, they're trying to figure out like, how do I even get people here? You know, like I'm not going to have 10,000 people in, in a community yet. 
I'm not there. I, I'm lucky to have 10. And I want them to meet. And so that was another reason why I was excited to have you talk about, you know, the part of the book, you, you, you know, you talk a little bit about these shifts of that you had to make this really fast decision that meetup was really like, we're in person. We don't do online. We're not doing online. We're not, we're not, we're not. And then. Boom. Yeah. The background dev on that is we always said at meetup, we're the technology that gets you off of technology, which is a beautiful thing because technology, as we know, has good and it also has challenges, you know, Facebook, Twitter, and other technologies, their goal is to keep you on that device as long as possible because that's how the company makes its ad revenue and to potentially sell your data and have your information. Meetup, we want you on the device as little as possible. We want you to go to events and go in person. So that was always our ethos was always IRL in real life, in person. Once we start seeing in China, 98% of events just shut down literally within a few days overnight. And then I was like, oh, that's happening in China. It's never going to happen in the United States. Of course, then Italy, we see... For some reason, like in Northern Italy, all events shut down in Northern Italy. Meetup, very paradoxically, ended up having the second case of COVID was a Meetup employee um, in Mount Sinai Hospital. Unfortunately, someone had to go there. And we we're in a WeWork building. WeWork, our WeWork building was shut down. Meetup was one of the first companies to have to, again, go virtual, which is quite ironic, shall we say. It was actually quite a few articles about Meetup is no longer in person as a company. We had we couldn't we couldn't work in the office, and I got everyone together, like you said, and I said, "What is our goal? Is our goal IRL, or is our goal connections?" And let's just frame what our mission is. Our mission is about community. Our mission about connections. And oh, people need Meetup. People need community even more during the pandemic than they needed it before the pandemic. And now since that time. We ended up going from zero meetup events that re- relatively that were virtual to we've had over 5 million events and over 40 million people participate in virtual events. And now we're, we're back to actually 80% in person and 40% virtual. But I've met so many people and they said, thank God for meetup. Because when I was stuck in a social isolation, I was by myself every night. I was able to come to a different meetup event, talk to people, connect with people. And that kept me sane. So fortunately, we were able to pivot our mission and our, 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 our and and our execution while actually keeping our mission, you know, highly, you know, highly aligned. But crazy, because that all that it was, a, it was it was a crazy time, and how we and executed you had a, against a staff of team. Just to remind people listening, this is not just David going and like all of a oh, sudden wait. we're flipping the switch from in person to virtual. There was a whole lot of people behind that, and so I think that goes to you know, ha- having this vision and then being adaptable to it, then saying, okay, but we, the real purpose is connection. Right. And- the whole, the whole idea of a pivot in basketball is you keep your heel planted and you move your feet in a pivot. Yeah. So you have to have something planted when you pivot, if you're, you can't completely move. So what was always planted for us was community. What was always planted for us is we are never going to change. Our focus is building community for people. The execution of that might have gone from more IRL to more more virtual during a period of time, and now it's back to IRL again. But but in a pivot, if you wholesale change what you're doing, completely change your mission and your strategy, one of our board members, for example, said, meetups should just become 100% virtual because look at how much it's growing. 
I'm like, no, that is not the goal. The goal is understand what our mission is, never change our mission, but figure out how to execute appropriately. And yeah, we had, I had to convince 100 people, 100 plus people in our company that we make this shift. And it was existential. We, we might not even exist today if we didn't make that shift. Right. So interesting. So interesting. I, and I love the, the clarity on pivot because I can relate to that in my own business by saying, I quit my corporate job. I was a sales uh, person in a corporate office. And in 2019, in December of 2019, I decided I had been side hustling freelance travel writing for a while. And I'm like, I'm going to go full time and be a travel writer in 2020. Mic drop. Peace out. See you later. <laughs> Not the best job that's, for 2020. That's that's what I'm doing. I told my boss, like, he's like, are you sure this, this stuff? This is what you want. To, yep. This is what I'm doing. Everybody was like, what are you doing? This is what I'm doing. So I got all into that. I was pitching publications in the beginning of the year. And then, yeah. And then, and then what happened was, is, okay, now I want to bring people together and gather them, but I still want to help people find calm in daily life. I was writing about mm. how to find calm destinations of calm. Then right. I p- pivoted to like, let's find calm around community building. So I launched over 30 virtual workshops in 2020. We hosted amazing workshops that were really inspirational with regards to like, how do you reshift your frame around finding calm in these challenging moments. And then from that, I couldn't figure out how to make that a business. And so I was exhausted and broke at the end of 2020 after like having all of these amazing conversations with people. But I'm like, but how do I, but then the last quarter of the year, people started asking me how to build community and I became a consultant. And then I started to pivot again to say, I'm finding calm, but I'm helping others find calm in the community building process. So I've always had the thread of, I want to feel calm in any element of whatever I'm doing. And it's just a matter of how do I do that? Well, what you did is you're, you, it sounds like being present is such an important thing, you know, from your perspective and not being distracted. And I think so many people in their lives lead lives of somewhat distraction. They're you know, focused on what the next thing is rather than just enjoying where they are at that time. And uh, it sounds like that's been something that's woven through your career as well. Yeah, it's really cool. So thank you for like helping me revisit that just now. Um, but focusing on money, let's talk about the money situation. So you talked about earlier um, the shifts that happen with Meetup. Tell me a little bit more about that if you can. Yeah, anything. So when we were on by WeWork, WeWork was basically focused on losing as much money as possible. It was kind of a ridiculous scenario. It's like, you're not losing enough money. In fact, this is crazy for the entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast, but one of WeWork's KPIs or key performance indicators for Meetup was how many people to hire as quickly as possible. That was actually a number that Meetup had to hit. In fact, it was killing that number. I was missing a lot of other numbers when I was hired, but it was hiring tons of people. The company went from a break-even business, not no profit, but not losing money, to under WeWork's ownership over two years, losing $40 million. $40 million from basically break even. So unbelievable. The company before me over doubled its size and really wasn't seeing significant growth from hiring all these people. Instead, they were hiring people and there was just confusion. Everyone was taking on pet projects. Everyone was working on many different things that may have made sense, may, may have been more of a distraction actually to meet up. When Adam asked me to join, um, and of course, didn't tell Scott. Scott ended up finding out about it from someone else, which is just not appropriate at all. 
Um, talking about lack of transparency there. When Adam finally hired, finally hired me, um, one of the things I said is we need to operate this company so that it's in it for the long haul. So we ended up going from in 2019, losing 18 to $20 million to 2020, we ended up making $3 million during the pandemic. So that was a good turnaround, but it's not how about did, the money. How did you do that though? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you in, 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 right after this, but it's, it's really not about the money. It's more about, it's more about building a company that you care about to be a sustainable company that can last forever. Because as long as you're losing tremendous amounts of money, there's risk that you could be shut down or there's risk that someone else could come in and um, try to turn you around quickly and then, you know, really um, challenge kind of all the things that your company stands for and change your business model to selling data or some other thing that we don't we don't really believe in. So so it was important for us to do that to ourselves rather than from someone else. So I did I did a couple of things. One of them was we went to, through every single contract in the company and significantly renegotiated all of our contracts and we saved dollars there. The second thing I did is, and this goes to being kind, not nice a bit, but we made a cultural shift within the company. We said, we need to grow revenue. We need to be profitable. And if the goal is that you enjoyed, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on holiday parties and weekly barbecues that would cost $10,000 each and all this kind of lavish employee benefits, I said, we got to eliminate those as much as I enjoy doing them because it's not responsible. It's not being a responsible leader to keep them. And we were able to reduce costs. The other thing we did ultimately went to employees with is we said, anyone who wants to volunteer to leave because of this cultural shift, we are going to pay you a meaningful amount of money, a meaningful severance, actually, a very nice severance to pick up and quit if you want to. Because I learned that, by the way, from Zappos. One of the things that Zappos and Tony Shea did is he would train people. At the end of training, he would pay them to quit because his idea was, I want to make sure that all the people in the company are deeply like loving being here and, and that they're, they're here for all the right reasons. And we spelled out, this is what we need to focus on as an organization. And we ended up having quite a few people end up saying, hey, this is a different meetup than what I remember it being. Um, and that was fine. And they're, you know, mission accomplished and we moved on. And then we also saved money from that way as well. It's insane. When I was reading <laughs> the book and like you, the stories that you describe in there of just the, the things. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just... I just is mind blowing that these problems are happening and the way you're describing it is like, but you're talking about millions of potentially millions right. of dollars. Tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like these decisions are really, you know, if you want to have, I mean, basically I've always been in the thought of if you want to, you work, you come and you work here and it's right. not about having fun. It's about you work, you get a paycheck. It's transactional. I really gravitate towards the creator economy based on, I want to create work that I'm passionate about that I can actually then charge people for, and they can val value my, not just passion, but what I am actually creating out in the world. And I feel like that's where, um, there's so many shifts happening right now in the economy with this, um, the great resignation yeah. and, and all the things that have happened with, the last couple of years is that we've realized of we only have a limited amount of time on this world. We don't know how long that's going to be or when it's going to end. And we have to make the most out of the relationships and what are important. We've, we identified 
that relationships are more important than transactions for the broad majority of it. But yet we still have to pay our rent or our mortgages every month and have to do all the things. So how do we enjoy what we love and get paid to do that? Yeah, you know, David. one of the things I like to say is that, and you saw this in the book probably, maybe even underlined it because I saw you had underlined something in the book. Revenue gives oxygen to Meetup's mission. Meaning too often people might see that business principles, growing revenue is like the opposite, you know, this anti-Wall Street mentality of like accomplishing a mission. But in reality, the more that we grow companies' revenue, meaning the more people that are creating meetup events, that are attending meetup events, the more that meetup is growing, we accomplish our mission and, and they're one and the same. It's not two separate diametrically opposed concepts. But we can be a better meetup, the bigger and more successful that we are. So our goal is not to get money for the sake of money. Our goal is to get money so that we're sustainable forever. And that, and that if we're double or triple the size, that means we're triple the impact. That means we're helping triple the numbers of people, which is what we want to ultimately accomplish. In terms of the great resignation also, I just wanted to add, I think one of the biggest reasons for the great resignation was actually the loss of community. Meaning so many people who were going to the office, let's say, three days, four days, five days a week, and then we're working from home, they didn't feel that same community. They weren't going to lunches with their friends. They weren't going to, going out to work afterwards with their friends, having coffees with their friends. And because they didn't feel that deep connection, they were on their laptops in Zoom, and they didn't have that community. That's why so many people were quitting you know, during the Great Resignation. Now it's a different story with a lot of people from tech companies, unfortunately, getting terminated. Facebook just announced oh, 11,000, 12,000 people Twitter, half their company, you know, et cetera. Meet up, no res, no terminations. We're, we're good. We're happy. Thank God right now. Um, but I think it was the loss of community that was the number one reason for of the great resignation as well. Yeah. But what does that mean now for the trends for 2023? And where's community lands with all of these shifts happening? Because I think the challenges lie of it takes time and resources and energy to gather people in any capacity, anyhow, how we recover the investment of time, energy, and, and hopefully come out, you know, making a profit instead of, you know, paying it out of pocket is I think what it is on a lot of people's minds when they yeah. think about community building. Cause a lot of people want to build a community. A lot of, a lot of platforms are, are out there to help you do that. Meetup is one of them, but like, again, it's time and energy and then income. And if I have my rent due, is, is me building a meetup group going to be the way that I could build community? And is that a business model? Does that, right. does that look, what does that look like for community leaders that you've talked to? Cause I know on your podcast, you interview a lot of hosts of, of um, meetups. So I wanted to see from all of your interviews, what have you gleaned as far as like, their time work balance and how they see community playing out in the next year. Okay. So when you're a entrepreneur, like so many of the listeners here are, you're doing a lot of things to grow your business and you want to make sure you're doing them efficiently. So for example, let's say you need to grow revenue as an entrepreneur. Well, community will help to grow potential clients that can be your clients if, as, as a potential entrepreneur. Um, if you own a gym, a yoga studio, and we have thousands of meetup um, organizers that own some physical property, they use meetup to offer events in their gym, offer events in their yoga studio, 
And they use that as lead generation to convert them into potential clients of their gyms and of the yoga studios and Pilates studios, you know, et cetera. So, so, so for an entrepreneur that's focused on growth, community can help them in, in that. Let's say you're a marketer you focus on marketing. Well, community is the best way to drive word of mouth type knowledge, you know, about uh, your particular brand and drive like your power users, your zealous users. The best and most important way to build a brand, there's lots of studies that have found this, that a zealous user, someone who loves your brand is worth over 100x, sometimes even a thousand x, someone that kind of knows your brand, but is not passionate about it because of the number of people that they could tell about your brand, number of people that that person they tell could tell about the brand and the butterfly impact of it. So from a sales perspective, community, check the box. Lead generation, potentially check the box. Marketing, brand building, check the box. Now let's talk about product. You're building a product. So Brian Armstrong, who's the founder of Coinbase, he said that I would never have been able to build Coinbase if not for Meetup. Why? Because he went from one um, cryptocurrency and blockchain um, uh, uh, community to another and ran focus groups with, with his community to understand their perspectives and what works and what doesn't work in their community. You mentioned the podcast called Keep Connected. And we interviewed uh, two amazing women uh, who are financial advisors, solopreneurs. They're building out their financial advisory business. They each build communities, having to meet up, but it could be on any platform, doesn't matter, with thousands of people in it. And 95% of their financial advisor clients come from the communities that they built. So that's a direct, you know, personal gig economy kind of benefit to, to, to that. And I was talking about a product, you know, using your community to get feedback about your product, to find people that might you want to hire to your company. The number of people that, you know, when we hire mobile engineers at Meetup, we actually create, we, we set up um, events focused on mobile engineering best practices. We have mobile engineers, let's say, come to those events from iOS and Android, and we use that as a recruiting tool. And then we recruit people, you know, using that as well. So it's, so if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking to recruit people to your team, you're looking to sell, you're looking to market, you're looking to build a great product. I think there's so many ways in which community can be massively helpful for you. It's kind of a no-brainer. What I like to say is that community is where social media was like seven, 10 years ago. Whereas it used to be there's a head of marketing and that head of marketing had a percentage of his or her time or their time focused on social media. Now you have a full dedicated person on Facebook, another full dedicated person on TikTok, another full dedicated person on Instagram. Right now, sometimes for community building, it's a percentage of someone's time. But increasingly, we're seeing full-time community community builders in every single major company. And it's for a good reason, because of all the reasons that I listed. Yeah. And that's we see the shift in the community industry to um, these director of community, global community, and then having teams under underneath them. And I've worked with with companies that do that. And Agora Pulse is a social media management company I worked with earlier this year, and they um, are building a community for their for their social media managers and learning nice. a lot about them. But it was it's just interesting this shift with social media that's happening and where does community, where is community going to land a year from now is going to be really interesting to see like in a year from now, what the landscape looks like online, how people are connecting now, now that we have the opportunity to reconnect in person. I know there's big shifts to that, 
but there's also still people that aren't ready or don't have time or the schedules are changing now and everything's different. What do you think is the best? This is the last question because we're wrapping up, but just to say, well, I have two questions. This is the second to last question, but anyway, what do you, what do you feel like, um, is a good investment in time for someone who is like, okay, I know I want to do community. Um, you know, what do you think is, is the must have there for somebody who's like in this space of, I want to have a community, but I don't want it to be you now. And I don't want it to be a bad experience. <laughs> right. So, so here's the answer. The first thing to do is to find two or three other people that could help you in putting the community. If you're going to do it just solely by yourself and put all the burden on yourself, and only be able to use your own personal network, you're going to be less successful than if you find, just like a co-founder of a company, two or three other people that you could really build and lead the community with and share the burden. I'm going to be in charge of marketing. You'd be in charge of you know, choosing the event venue. You'd be in charge of this. But I think too often when people try to build a community, again, because of certain tendencies, they want to take on all the responsibility and don't necessarily ask for help from others. So find a way to find numerous other people, tell them, guess what? You're going to be part of my leadership team and create a leadership team for your community. That's the best thing you could do because guaranteed worst case scenario, you end up having an event as just you and your leadership team and just five of you, whatever that is, but it won't be, it won't be the five of you. It'll be seven, 10, 12. And then the, then the key is persistence. If you have a first event and not that many people show up, that's okay. You only get five, six, seven people. The next event, you'll get 20 people. Next thing you get 50 people. You know, I've talked to so many meetup organizers that have 5,000, 10,000 people, you know, in their community today, their first event was four people. You know, it's important to understand that it takes time to build and that you, and that, and that, and that persistence really makes an enormous difference and not to just jettison the idea just, you know, because it isn't, you know, a smashing success right from the start. Do the MVC, not MVP, but MVC, rather than minimum viable product. Minimum viable community, get it out there and then keep trying to iterate from there. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, human beings are unpredictable and we can we can work the plan as much as we want to by ourselves. But then it's about, you know, bringing humans together. And that can be just such an unpredictable, amazing, interesting, (laughs) challenging experience. But I I think the, the key there is behind the numbers you know, people talk about like, oh, I, I want to have 10,000 people in my yeah. community. What, focus, is, what, yeah, what does that on mean? The qualitative, not the quantitative. It's not about yeah. the numbers. It's about the people whose lives you can change. That's really what matters. You mentioned the book, you know, I sold X number of copies and whatever. I'm happy about it. But more importantly, I'm happy that almost every day someone sends me a LinkedIn message or an email and says, oh my gosh, that really helped me. And if I get one a day, that's 300 people who I'm able to help, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. When you're a community builder, focus on the number of people that you, not the number of people, focus on the people that you're helping. And that's really what matters most. Numbers will yeah. take care of themselves. Oh, and we talked back before we started recording, I just a quick throwback, what we were talking about for the audience to, to listen, for the people to listen to. There's a podcast that was just released today is November 10th. Um, so if you look back in your podcast history, you'll find it. But there, what was the episode title of the one that just came out? What did you say? Um, I think it's something around intro- the power of introductions. 
Yeah. And I thought I was listening to that on my walk this morning and just got so inspired by the idea of, you know, if you are a numbers person, because there are people that are listening that are like, I want the data. I want the numbers. I need to know what the return on investment is going to be. I know that those people are there. They're listening. So, okay, well, this podcast is for you (laughs) because you could listen to this, this conversation that, that you have about, you know, the amazing awe-inspiringness that it is that can lead, that connections can do, the power of connections and how they can lead to big decisions like jobs and careers that change somebody else's life in their income, but also in their life. So yeah, um, I mean, I'll tell one last story and then you can ask the last question, which is, you know, Omar Acosta, who is one of my favorite organizers, he was a major introvert, was kind of staying at home. He never went out. He finally went to a meetup event, a group around around rock climbing and he and he went to a second and a third event the organizer left and the organizer asked him to take over since he's taken over there's been uh, 900 events but actually six weddings have come out of this group it's not even a singles group it's just an example deb of like what can happen from get gathering you never know what can happen the number of people who have found their co-founders of companies there are people who have found their spouses there are people who have changed career directions, um, have, have, have even been healed. Uh, a friend of mine runs a, uh, runs a breast cancer support meetup group. And, and she has told me that a number of people in her group have lives have been saved because of alternative treatments that they learned about from community again. So, um, you yeah, know. the power of connection can't always be um be attributed to dollars or numbers and it really is community is a unique amazing unique um opportunity i think that we're in a moment in time i think this can all be resonated as there's some uh my friend adrian spire who's um the head over at vanilla was on a call with me yesterday because he wrote a book the accidental community manager and his comment was you know, there's a moment before Elon Musk bought Twitter and there's the moment after. And <laughs> That's right. And now that we've seen the shift, it's going to be like crazy. So here's the question. The last question for uh, 2022 and for this year of the Community Strategy Podcast, um, which now I've like set it up for you to be like, what is the question? Um Cliffhanger. Talk about your cliffhangers. Cliffhanger. What is what do you think is the most exciting thing that you're looking forward to in the community space for 2023 in this concept of building, you know, connection and and relationships in community? Yeah. So so for me, I think the job of a community builder and leader is so hard. It's so hard today. And that person oftentimes is not um, has to oftentimes pay pay money themselves, do all the work, um, and and it's it's sometimes a, not a very appreciated position. So I'll just talk about Meetup and what we're focused on for 2023. How do we make it a lot easier for organizers to potentially um, grow their businesses and not pay but get paid? as meetup organizers, flip the model. So for example, we just launched something where um, anyone in a community can donate 
money to the organizer or to a charitable cause as a thank you to that organizer. In just a few months, we've already had over $100,000 in donations to the organizer. And the goal for 2023 is that over a million dollars is going to be donated to causes and nonprofits on behalf of the organizers or directly, if organizers want, kind of back to themselves to defray those costs. How do we set up a kind of closed-loop thank you mechanisms for organizers to hear about all the amazing things that they built so they could feel that less burnout, so they could feel that personal motivation and hear about all the amazing things that they've done to help to build a community? So what I want to try to do is find ways to make it more gratifying, more meaningful, less cumbersome, more, more better financials um, and, and, and better incentives to help organize. Because if you do that, then more and more people will be comfortable become, becoming organizers and organizing communities. You know, lots of people want to go to a party, not many people want to throw a party. So, so we need to make the world and make everything a lot easier for people to want to become it. And if we do that, then the, it will have a, a massive kind of exponential impact on the growth of communities as we know it. Boom. Mic drop. Make it easy. The Make slogan of 23, 2023, I think my word, you've just dis- made me decide that my word for next year is ease. Um because I've been, that's just come up for a, a lot for me is like, how do I make this easier? And I talk to clients and they're like, Deb, yeah, let's make this easier. <laughs> well, Deb, I have to say you may being a podcast guest as incredibly easy as possible. Thank you for being such a wonderful, wonderful host and, and such a builder of community. I, I am amazed by, you know, what you've accomplished in, in, in a hundredth episode and the number of clients that you've absolutely helped in terms of community building and kind of thank you for, you know, the opportunity for me to be, um, to be a part of it. it. It means a lot. Well, I'm glad that you're here and uh, so excited for what, what is the future of meetup. I had my initial first meetup uh, about 10 years ago and have lifelong friends from that, that actually the person who designed my logo, I met at a meetup event. Yeah, the fine, the fine, calm here logo that everybody loves. That I got so much positive feedback on. I was like, yeah, that was from my friend Zoe. Shout out Zoe, who lives in Chicago, who I met at a hiking meetup on my birthday, where we hiked <laughs> like for seven hours. I was preparing for like an hour hike, and then this guy was like, nope, we're gonna go. And it was like seven hours later, and like I that's a good way no to sig- know people. <laughs> I had no people. signal, and my mom's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I didn't die, and I met new people, <laughs> and nobody killed me today, so I think it's alright. But no, uh, thank you so much. Uh, so excited for the future of Meetup. And I'm pretty sure everybody knows where to go, but uh, is there a specific place that you'd like people to go to find out more about you, not just Meetup? Yeah, so I would say um, I love LinkedIn. Feel free to send me a LinkedIn invite. It's a great way to stay connected and to um, share content, et cetera. Um, the book could be found on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever, Decide and Conquer. And Meetup, download our app. And just do it, like we said. Ease. Sign up for something in the New Year resolution. Try to try to find you know a, a group of people that can you know build meeting for you. And if everyone does that, the world will be a better place. Ah, beautiful. Thank you so much, David. And thanks for everybody who's been listening to the Community Strategy Podcast. Uh, please check out our past episodes. And uh, as a 
um, exciting announcement. I am writing a book. It's called Creator to Community Builder. It's currently in crowdfunding and I am getting sponsorship to get funding for the book. And it will be out in the spring of 2023. And there will be acknowledgement and, and, and chapter references from past podcast episodes that we're going to break down in the book. So I'm going to be really utilizing what work we've done here with the Community Strategy Podcast and putting that into actionable steps that you can take as a community builder. So I'm excited about that. I know if you want an endorsement, I'm happy to lend a hand. I will I will be reaching out to you. Thanks. Thanks so much, David. Um, thanks to everybody who's been really supportive for the last two and a half years um, for me to be doing this podcast. And I hope to, uh, usually I end the podcast by saying, I hope you're finding calm and I'm going to do that again today, but with a preface, I hope you're finding calm today and in every day that you are experiencing at least a moment of, of a little bit of calm, um, until the next time we meet again, take care and, uh, have a great 2023. Bye. Hi, this is Deb Shell, and I'm super excited to let you know that I'm writing a book. Yes, uh, it might be not be a big deal for you, but it is a big deal for me. Um, as I, I work through writing the Creators Community Builder book, I've decided to launch a crowdfunding campaign, and I'm super excited to share with you that this is where I'm asking you for your help. I need to reach $5,000, and at this moment, we've raised about a hundred. Um, $1,110. So thank you so much for all of the people who have um, supported this project to this point. I wanted to let you know with updating you today that I'm extending this campaign to the end of the year. So by December 31st, my goal is to raise $5,000 for this book. The estimates are about um, $10,000 of, of cost of public publishing, printing, uh, a limited, you know, amount of copies and um, paying for a designer. So I've just, uh, I just started um, reconnecting with our book designer. He's going to be getting me some proposals next week, and I'm going to start um, with a new cover design for you, hopefully before the end of the year. So um, that's my update for today. Thank you for um, supporting me so far. If you haven't um, supported this project yet, please go to the show notes and check out the I Fund Woman crowdfunding campaign for the new book, Creator to Community Builder. I'm super excited. Thanks so much for all who've supported. Mm -hmm.